thank you for tuning into Holistic Finance, where we promote financial balance and financial health. Our mission is to simplify your finances so you can focus on your practice and enjoy life. Now, here are your hosts, Ryan Burklow and Alex Collins. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Holistic Finance. I am Ryan Burklow, and on today's episode, I had the chance to sit down with Dr. Sage Wheeler. Dr. Wheeler is a practicing physician where he has his practice in Bellevue, Washington, and he's also on the board of directors for the Washington Association of Naturopaths. In the interview or in the conversation we had with each other, he discussed how he started his practice, what struggles that he went through and how he overcome overcame them, and then the confidence that it takes to start your practice. Many of you are going through this or have gone through this. So for those of you who are new and starting your practice, you'll get some key insights as to what you're going to face. And for those of you who have a practice, you'll be able to take uh, some insights around how he leveraged his debts and his mind and just his overall mission to build what he has. So without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Sage Wheeler. Dr. Wheeler, I so appreciate your time. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So uh, for those listeners, uh, you know, I, I wanted to have Dr. Sage Wheeler to come on the show to explain his, his experience being a naturopathic doctor and uh, building a practice and with the purpose of hopefully sharing some insight for those of you who are either about to start a practice or maybe you're in the midst of building practice and we can help bring some value there. So uh, Sage, I always like to start this conversation off. I always love hearing the stories. What had you become a naturopathic doctor? Well, that, that's a good question because it's not a very common career choice. Uh, I was a pre-med student at Utah State University. Um, and I, I had a couple health issues that um, drove me away from mainstream medicine. Uh, first issue was um, I injured my back, and um, uh, it was uh, frustrating to go through what was going to be my profession, which was orthopedic medicine, um, and see them pretty much not be able to do anything for me. The choice was just do nothing or get major surgery. Um, and I thought, wow, there's there's got to be more options between doing nothing and major surgery. But, I, you know, I went about a year and a half uh, with pretty um, significant pain. It was keeping me from the active lifestyle I enjoyed, which was resulting in substantial weight gain, which was making my back hurt worse. And uh, my mom brought up to uh, my grandma that I was unhappy with treatment availability. I wasn't getting better. And uh, my, my grandma calls and says, hey, go see my naturopathic doctor. So it's uh, Dr. Milton Nelson in Idaho. He's since passed away. He's a brilliant man. Um, and I was like, I don't, I don't know what that is. It sounds weird. Um, it's not a real doctor. And, uh, and she gave me the address, which was, uh, you know, he had taken a, a garage um, that was separate from his house and turned it into a clinic. And so I already, I was like, I'm in the middle of St. Anthony, Idaho in the middle of nowhere with this one doc in a box, you know, and, uh, but he sat me down and it was, the whole thing was just different than how mainstream doctors had done it. 
he spent about an hour and he mostly felt my body and none of the other doctors even did a physical exam. Um, they looked at MRIs and x-rays, but they didn't really put their hands on me. And without even asking me many questions, he was able to tell me my own history just by what he felt in my body. Interestingly enough, he's blind. Um, and oh, so wow. his, his sense of touch was phenomenal. You know, he, of course, he grabs my stomach. He's like, you're, you're too fat. And he said it just <laughs> like that. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know? and, to the um, point. <laughs> yeah, you know, my face got a little red. And I was just like, well, you know, excuses. And um, he said, you won't get better until you lose weight. And uh, he was just very straightforward about it. And I, I appreciated his candor. And I, I think he sensed that I was, you know, open to that. And then he did a chiropractic style adjustment, you know, an osteopathic adjustment, um, cracked my back, if you will. That alone, I had immediate relief. It was just like, I'd always felt there was something just stuck and just needed to move. And, but nobody had put their hands on me. And that was tremendous relief almost immediately. I got about 80% better just after that first visit. Um, <clears throat> and then after I lost the, the 30, you know, 40 pounds that he said I needed to lose, uh, the residual pain got away. To this day, if I keep my weight well managed, uh, which is a chore as you get older, um, I, I don't have that. And so I thought, wow, that's that's really cool. Um, I want to be able to do what he does because he had acupuncture. He was doing spinal manipulation. You know, he counseled me on nutrition and diet, helping with weight loss. And this is all just in a couple of visits. And I, I thought the scope of practice was incredible in, in the breadth of knowledge. The holistic, you know, way he addressed, uh, and and I just thought that's 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 for me. And then if there was no, of course, uh, college for that in Utah. And I'm, I'm looking stuff up online, and I find Clayton College, which is a non-credentialed, and a, it, you know, school. It, they tell me I can get my license in two months, and I was like, what? That doesn't seem right. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. <laughs> and my, my sister found Bastyr University, which is my alma mater. And so I, uh, I was excited to go. So I dropped out of pre-med and did Bastyr University's Bachelor's of Science program in herbal science, uh, which I thought would be a good primer for the naturopathic uh, doctorate, and, uh, which it was. Um, and then, you know, I've been stuck here in the Northwest ever since. <laughs> so Utah, Idaho, and then you come out to the Northwest where it rained and gray. So that had to be a nice transition for you. You know, it's about 300 days of sun in Utah. Even when it's snowing, there's sun. Right. Uh, and so I, in the winter, I always say I'm stuck here. But in the summers, you know, there's really no no more beautiful place. In the oh, yeah. I'm not from Seattle myself either. But, yeah, the summertime, it's gorgeous. So so, so you, you go to school. You know, you graduate. Did you go into, I want to start my own practice right off the get-go? Did you join another practice? What, what happened from there? I knew from the get-go that I would I would need to be my own boss. I always have been. There's very few times in my life where I worked for other people, and it didn't suit me. Um, and uh, so my plan from day one was to have a multidisciplinary integrative clinic. Um, I had this vision in my head, and everything I did was geared towards making that happen. Gotcha. Did Where did you go to, I guess, get the business acumen to build that, right? Because that's not taught necessarily in, in school. So right. how, how did you go about finding that? I mean, that's that's a core question I get all the time. Well, 
that is um, a very popular school. You may have heard it. It's called the School of Hard Knocks. Um, <laughs> the best school out there, right? <laughs> so, you know, there is really no good training available uh, to physicians in general within our core curriculum. Chiropractors mm -hmm. actually get a lot of business training. Um, some say, you know, a little too much time spent on business and marketing. That's why they're so good at it, though. Um, and uh, Bastyr University offered some classes, but to be honest, and no offense to my professors, they were very outdated. You know, we're talking about doing, you know, credit debit ledgers on paper. You know, it, it was really outdated stuff. Let me pull out my and, abacus. Right. <laughs> and, and there was no talk of social media marketing. There was no talk of appropriate contracting if you're an employer contract versus independent contractor, you know, that's a hot topic in medicine. There really wasn't any. So thank goodness, you know, we've got the, uh, the internet. Um, and so me listening to podcasts like the one you're doing and um, articles from various subscription services, conferences, you know, I always went to the ones that were business focused. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then of course, you know, I made a lot of mistakes in the first three years uh, and just always being willing to learn from your stakes, pick yourself up and keep going. What would you say the, the, like the one mistake or the one thing, and maybe there's more than one thing, but what, what's, what's the biggest lesson that you wish you would have known prior to maybe making the mistake? The biggest obstacle we face right out of school, if you have a vision like mine, is getting the money to start the practice. Mm -hmm. um, and now that I have a successful practice, um, I get banks calling me. I got a call just last week. Say, hey, you're pre-approved for a half million dollars. Just give us a call, you know, and it's a really good interest rate. And I get like, you're like, where were you? Like 30 years ago, I had to, you know, twist arms and, and sell my practice. And um, it was difficult. I don't know if I would necessarily do it differently because there really isn't another way. But I raised money among uh, friends and acquaintances and other business people. And um, theoretically, it could have worked out well. It does for some other people. My situation, not not so much. It came with some strings attached that were sinking the business. Um, and so, what I did after raising those funds, just from private investors, you know, venture capitalists, if you are angel investors, mm -hmm. um, I I offered to buy them out. I felt like without the uh, without being um, restricted by the things that they wanted, um, employing the people they insisted on employing, which I didn't, who I didn't feel were good fits for the practice. Right. Um, I felt like I could make it succeed, but at that time we were not making enough money to pay me. Um, I think I made, I took home like twenty-four, twenty-eight thousand dollars that year. I mean, it was rough, um, and so <clears throat> it was a leap of faith to 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 think that I could take control of this promise to pay them a certain percentage of their money back and um but then in the end it would be mine and mine to control mine to direct and fortunately it did work out i was able to pay off the incredible amount of debt we'd accrued under the under the, the co-management with that those those investors with sixty five thousand dollars of debt which i was able to negotiate down um letting them know i took control of the company i could pay them this much or else we'd have to go back and so it was a lot of hard discussions to have, and it, it wasn't an ideal situation. But if you really, you know, believe in your plan and you have a plan, which is important, um, 
you know, I right. said, well, if you could just do this and get rid of that and have this and have this person step in here and we can consolidate this, then I think we can make it work. Um, and it, it went exactly as planned. Um, but the plan included the, the knowledge and the acceptance that it wasn't going to be easy. It was, um, you know, 80 to 110 hour weeks for a long time. Um, the difficult part of, of starting a practice is first getting the money to start it. And so for your listeners, um, that's one way to do it. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Get money from venture capitalists and deal with the ramifications of the inevitable problems that will cause. Or be patient and save your own money and build up your own credit. Don't be afraid of debt. You know, I've said this before at other meetings for best-year students, and it was pretty well received. There's this tremendous fear of debt that you have to get out of debt as fast as possible. The richest guy I know, one of the co-founders of McKesson, um, he's, he's constantly like five to ten million dollars in debt. You know, his net worth is hundreds of millions, if not a billion or so. Um, but uh, that was a lesson he gave me was don't don't be afraid of good debt. You know, as long as you have the means to pay it off without accruing a lot of interest. Um, you can always leverage debt to keep going bigger and bigger and bigger. And so either get money from venture capital, friends, family, be really careful because it puts an enormous strain on your relationship with those people. Or just be patient and use your own money and credit. Start small and grow organically. Um, and you can eventually, you know, get to your dream. Uh, and you know, make sure it's a dream you really want because it takes patience and a lot of effort to get there. Um, but ultimately, uh, you know, we still have debt, but it's a new kind of debt. Like I'll buy, I just bought a transcranial magnetic stimulation machine for treatment of uh, treatment resistant depression. It's an FDA approved device. It's covered by insurance, you know, to get it all set up purchased, have a room, to, special room to put it in, special power supply, you know, it's all it's said and done. It's about $140,000. And I got a loan from one of the many banks that calls and asks if I need any money. And I said, yeah, actually, this time I do. <laughs> you know? Thanks for calling. <laughs> yeah, for calling. So, you know, in those situations, I'll take the money. I, I'll right. do the math and I know I can pay that 4% interest. Uh, it'll only take me a year to pay it off. Um, but I'm able to get um, ahead on some of these current trends in medicine by you know using other people's money sometimes uh, people will ask do did you pay off your student loans you know uh, you're making well over six figures isn't that the first thing you want to do I'm like no it's income adjusted uh, it's going to be deferred in 25 years if I don't pay it off um, I just do the math like can I use that money to buy something for my practice that will deliver me more in the long term in the 10 year plan. And oftentimes the answer is, is yeah, I can use that money more wisely. Um, as long as I'm not letting that interest accrue on those student loans, uh, you gotta at least pay that off, right? Uh, <clears throat> then don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of going into debt for your dreams. As long as you have a plan to manage it well and that you have sound accounting and financial advisors to, to help you with that, because it, it's hard to hard for some people to frame what uh, what's good debt and what's dangerous debt. 
I'm so glad you brought it up. Uh, you know, we had an episode actually called, you know, good debt versus bad debt. And we explained that exact same thing. And it's all about managing cash flow and how do you, how do you leverage different assets and different debts? And so, I mean, you just explained it very, very well there. The, the one thing that you brought up, uh, well, there's, there's several things you brought up that I'm, I'm now, uh, would love to hear from you is you had to have the belief in yourself, the confidence to keep going and to do all of this. Did that just come naturally? Did you lean on people? Like, where did that come from? Because I'm sure some of our listeners are brand new and they're like, how in the heck <laughs> did you face all of that adversity and, and get to the other side? It's always a nice story once you're on the other side, right? Yeah. Well, you know, people who know me um, will joke, you know, I, I definitely am not short on ego. <laughs> I've been called ego helps. Yeah. I've been called anywhere from confident to cocky. Um, and uh, in medicine, it helps. You know, you need in medicine to project an air of, of supreme confidence because people mm -hmm. are putting their health in your hands. And same thing in business. You know, I have 13 providers that work for me. They're putting their careers in my hands. So I need to emulate that, that sense of like, yeah, this is the way for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, whether you feel that internally all the time is a different matter. So, yeah, there were times when I was really internally struggling, like, do I want to take on this company that has kind of been off to a really rough start? We could just go bankrupt and I could start again, maybe five, 10 years down the road. I'd have the money to do it on my own. I wouldn't have to pay off that 65000 in debt. I wouldn't have to pay back the investors almost 200000 in their cash. Um, I could just kind of start fresh. And that's always a tempting option. Um, but you lose momentum when you do that. You, you really damage your credit. And my credit's my best asset. You know? Right. It's nice to have banks call you and offer you what you need. Uh, and so I was very protective of my credit. And that's why I decided to just stick with it. Um, so it was kind of go big or go home. It, it could have failed miserably. Um, but uh, you do have to have that, that confidence in your plan and in yourself. And you also, a lot of people have that confidence, but they don't necessarily have the surety that this is their dream. Mm. That this is what makes them happy. And that ultimately, you know, they find that they're just, they don't have a passion for it. Um, they, they thought they had a passion for medicine, but they don't realize that the business aspect is, is uh, a whole different ball game, a whole different ball game. But it, in, in naturopathic medicine, you can't just go to a hospital and get a job as a hospitalist. It's just, there's not those opportunities out there. Um, we don't get hired by Overlake or Swedish. We, we generally have to run our own businesses. Um, or you can, you know, come work for someone like me, which a lot of people really quite enjoy. We do all the business. They just focus on medicine. So some people start a practice and they realize they actually would rather just come work at a place like Sage Med because I don't think a lot of people realize how much time it takes. You know, just we were up till one o'clock, my wife and I, because we were trying to reconcile QuickBooks and we accidentally deleted all of 2019's reconciliation. Oh, no. And it's just little things like that that's just like, oh, I hate owning a business right now. <laughs> right. I bet. I bet. Yeah, that would, that would, yeah. <laughs> Where, you know, you brought up the marketing aspect. Um, you know, obviously you had a loan for your business, but from a marketing standpoint, what 
what advice would you give on the marketing side? Like, and not specific, like do social media or something like that. Like what was the, how did you wrap your head, your head around like a marketing plan to build That's the a good question. Uh, marketing is dead. You know, really the best marketing right now is the success and satisfaction of your patients. Uh, for a clinic as big as ours, we spend relatively little on marketing, maybe 1500 a month. Um, you know, and usually they say you should spend anywhere from seven to 11% of your income on, on marketing to continue that revenue flow. Yeah. But my, in medicine, it's a little bit different. It really, you have to have a large cohort of patients out there that are very happy with what you're doing. They tell their friends, we are still mostly word of mouth. Um, mass media marketing is, is, as you know, very dead, newspaper, radio, very right. low right? right? Um, the, so it's all about the two things really with marketing, your patient satisfaction so that they want to tell, you don't even have to ask, they want to tell their friends and, and then producing trustworthy content because we live in an age of misinformation. And we also live in what I call the post truth era where people thinks that there are facts and there are, there are alternative facts and that they're mm -hmm. both equally valid. In medicine, that absolutely cannot be the case. There is there's what's good for you and there's what's not. Um, right. And uh, it, it is um, increasingly important that we produce really sound, trustworthy content. Um, one obstacle a lot of my colleagues are complaining of, they're getting, quote, censored, unquote, um, by Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. If you're posting things in a way where you're getting fact-checked and they get a little disclaimer that says this may be false information, that is just absolutely horrible for your brand. Oh, yeah. And people say, well, we can't talk about COVID then. Well, sure you can. I do it all the time. Our social media does it all the time. I've never been fact-checked. I've never been censored. You just have to be smart about how you present your information. And you know some of these things are, are most of it is run by algorithms, just picking up on keywords. Um, but uh, you know you can always request they be personally reviewed. Uh, usually in those cases they'll they'll get lifted. But you just have to be smart about how you produce trustworthy content, and you have to build a reputation for trustworthy content that people are going to share. Um, and that's hard because sensational is sexy, and oftentimes mm -hmm. sensational contains a lot of misinformation, or at least it, it contains a lot of hyperbole. Sure. Yeah, there, there's so much to un unpack in all of that. Um, <laughs> my head, my, I'm, I'm going a mile a minute with different ideas of where I could take this conversation. Um, let, let me, you brought up COVID, right? That had to maybe early on change how you were running your practice um, a, a bit. Maybe it, it did, well, let me ask you, did it change how you ran your practice? Yeah, with COVID, um, we had to do, we were already doing telemedicine. So again, being kind of on the forefront of trends in healthcare really serves your practice. So um, we had already had the infrastructure, we had the IT, everything set up. We've got a very, you know, fast internet connection for our business. Uh, so we were up and running with telemed, no problem. And then a big dramatic shift towards education, because again, there's a lot of misinformation. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that was frankly unknown. So we just put out emails, newsletters, social media, 
say, hey, this is what we know. You may be hearing a lot of different stuff. Here's, here's how we know this. Here's the direct primary research that says how we know this. Um, here's what people are saying that we think might not be true. Um, and try to just be a trusted, non-sensational, non-hyperbolic source. And that, that was really our immediate like focus. Um, we went from doing 20% telemedicine to 70% telemedicine. That was a huge shift, but we were ready to do it, so it wasn't a big deal. Um, and so, yeah, we changed, but we were already in a state that was very capable and ready for that change. So we did not lose revenue uh, during uh, this last year of 2020. Good for you. Uh, we usually grow by about 20 to 30% per year. We have pretty rapid growth um, after losing a crap ton of money for the first five years. <laughs> um, and uh, so 2019 was my first year where I, I paid myself the same as I would pay my contractors and I took a profit. I was able to still take a profit in 2020, um, not a very large one, uh, but nonetheless, we didn't lose money which is fantastic. Part of that was because we got PPP loans. Um, mm. Without those, I would, have, I would have lost a little bit, uh, maybe $15,000, $20,000. Um, but with those, we were able to keep everyone employed and not take a huge loss. So it worked out almost, like the amount offered was, I thought it was a little on the low side. It turned out to be just about perfect. We, we broke just above even. Um, and so, yeah, it was a bit of a change. Um, but uh, if you're quick to adapt and you already have kind of that um, tendency to be on the forefront of technology, uh, it's going to be easy to adapt. It won't break you down. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I, I, know, uh, I know we're at time here, but I do have one more question for you that I always like to end these interviews on. And it's your view of money. So as, as a child, your experience was there anything that shaped or changed uh, your view of money um, as you as as you see it today? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, as a child, you know, my family was for the most part always short on cash. Um, you know, never went hungry, but a few times, you know, we had to get food from the food bank. Um, and so, money was important to me in the sense that I didn't want to have to have that kind of insecurity. In my own life and, and in my kids' life, particularly, uh, my dad had um, a habit of bankrupting businesses uh, for simple, what I think could be summed up as not knowing when to hold them and when to fold them. And, Kenny Rogers, uh, I love and, it. <laughs> right, <laughs> and so you you got to know when to hold, you got to know when to fold. Right, don't chase sunk costs. Um, if you lost it, you lost it. If you can't make a plan to reasonably get out, you just got to fail. Um, and so, yeah, it was important to me to provide not necessarily wealth for my family, but stability. Hmm. Um, and uh, so that's, that's always been why really good credit's always been very important to me. Um, and making a, a decent living while at the same time enjoying what I'm doing. But on the other side, you know, my, my family, my dad particularly, trying to dig himself out of these bankruptcies resulted in not having a lot of family time um, and not, not seeing him much outside of a work setting. So I also didn't want that. Right. Uh, the best, and I got a little sunk into it when the business was failing and I had to buy out the investors. The best book I read was Essentialism by Greg McKeown. And it really helped me to rebalance my work-life um, uh, structure 
so that I would hire people that I trust. And even though I had to pay them more money, in the end, uh, it was worth it. And hiring those, those higher caliber people, you know, when you're interviewing people, it's got to be hell yeah. If it's not hell yeah, say no. And that's what, right. what McKinnon in this book. And that's really good advice. Getting those people around me, I thought, well, I'm probably going to lose money, but my quality of life is going to be better. Not only did I not lose money, I got that better quality of life and the income continues to produce because the, the higher caliber of the people that I'm working with. Awesome. Well, Dr. Willick, thank you so much for being on the show. That was a lot of information there in a short period of time. I appreciate your time. Uh, and uh, for those listeners, if if you've got any, any questions, feel free to reach out to us. Also, I know that uh, Dr. Wheeler is a board member on the Washington Association of Naturopathic Physicians. And so I know that's a great association to, to look at, as well as the American Association for different resources. Make sure you check that out. So, Dr. Wheeler, thank you again. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Ryan. Feel free to reach out anytime. I'm glad to do it again if anyone wants to hear more of me babbling on. <laughs> All right. This podcast is for informational purposes only and it's not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 333 North Indian Hill Boulevard, Claremont, California 91711. 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, Membra, FEMRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian, Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Number 2021. 115728 expiration february 2023